Welcome to the Point Podcast from Pendle. Today, I'm speaking to Amy Shear-Patrick, Portfolio Manager at Pendle Group. We're seeing something of a disconnect between central banks and markets at the moment. Certainly, investors expect central banks to start moving on interest rates soon, even if some, like the Reserve Bank of Australia, are determined to be, in their words, patient. Amy, can central banks go as hard as what the markets have priced in? That's a great question, Sean, and hello to you. Look, I think central banks are very reluctant. As you rightly said, the RBA wants to be patient. The Fed has used the overarching phrase of average inflation targeting to hide behind. I think it would be difficult for central banks to go quite as hard as what the markets have priced in. But let's be cognizant that also what the markets have priced in is somewhat of an overreaction as well in terms of the liquidity and the sheer size of positioning that had been, especially at the front end of yield curves over the last few months, because the market has bought in to the central bank's rhetoric. Now, given the kind of moves that we saw last week, it is again interesting to me that at the very end of last week, you had major central banks like the Bank of England come out and essentially do a backflip on what they had prepared the market for. So this is, again, a demonstration that when the markets price in more than what the central banks are prepared to do, they will be more concerned about reining it back and pacing those expectations of the markets rather than chasing them. It's almost a cat and mouse game in in a funny way. It really is. It's a big question right now as to whether the markets have it right or whether the central banks have it right. But the central banks are determined to tell us that inflation is not a problem for the longer term. It comes down to the issue of credibility. And if you take the Reserve Bank of Australia, for example, where's their credibility sit at the moment, given how they let go of the yield curve control in the last couple of weeks? I would say considerably poorer, especially given how they let go of the yield curve control. I think it's the first time that we've seen a policy move from the RBA be implemented in such a way as to simply do nothing Hmm. as opposed to announce something. The way they let go of yield curve control at the end of the prior week was simply to no longer purchase those 2024 bonds at the yields that they had previously committed to, rather than announce a policy shift, as it were. Policy making is never going to be particularly easy, though something we're seeing at the moment, which you have mentioned before, is that central banks have shifted away from being preemptive, and particularly under Dr. Philip Lowe, are waiting to see the data before moving. Certainly some of his predecessors and other central banks are much more preemptive than they are now. Is that fair to say? I would say that If anything, they're moving even more towards driving through the rearview mirror. You know, for 10 years or more, central banks like the RBA and like the Federal Reserve in the US have failed again and again in their inflation forecasts. Right now, the Fed is now emphasizing the mandate of full employment, almost as if it comes before inflation, Mm. as far as they're concerned. And we know that employment is a lagging indicator for the economy. So by the time they see employment being too tight, the wages market being too hot, inflation is already going to be running far ahead of what they're comfortable with. So they're telling us that more so than what they've done for the past 10 years, they're going to be even more lax and they want to stay even further behind the curve. Of course, all of this is about inflation. The current inflation spike, why are we seeing it? And do you think it'll last? 
Good question. So the current inflation spike, I think a lot of ink has been spilt on the supply chain bottlenecks that we're seeing around the world. And that's, you know, to some degree to be expected because of the huge shock to demand that you've had and therefore to supply as well because of COVID. And then the reignition of that demand and supply simply can't keep up. That's relating to goods inflation. And goods inflation for developed countries like Australia is typically not a massive component of our inflation baskets. What is more important is the inflation that is potentially yet to come. And we're expecting this to be a 2022 theme. And that wave of inflation will come in services and to a degree in shelter as well. Services, you can imagine that as demand picks up and people start paying for experiences, again, as opposed to over-ordering online goods to satisfy their boredom whilst they're in lockdown, the second wave in services will be significant. And we will have to closely watch wages and labor market participation to see if the second wave in services becomes more of a persistent problem that central banks cannot ignore. Services, you would think, would actually be more permanent than transitory, though, because once prices go up in services, it's probably harder to bring them down. Is that You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Goods will come in waves, but services... Services inflation is very stable through time. And once you get that stepwise change, it's very hard to go backwards from that. And you mentioned shelter. Just explain that to me. So that's just in terms of the housing market being very hot. Ah, literally shelter. It, it literally feeds through to what people pay in rent. So that's what we call the shelter component of inflation. Okay. So what are the near-term speed bumps that might calm all this sell-off in bond markets? The near-term speed bumps are obviously if you get some other variant, let's say in, in COVID, that becomes disruptive again. Although I do think that, you know, apart from outside of China, where they continue to enforce a zero tolerance to any COVID, the rest of the world is starting to adapt to life with COVID. Mm. Other speed bumps that we see is a mid-cycle slowdown in the U.S., the kind of economic slowdown that you're seeing right now is being dismissed by many because it's typically what you see halfway through a cycle. But I don't think it can be so easily dismissed when you consider the amplitude of this particular economic cycle. So even if it is just a mid-cycle slowdown, you'd expect that the size of that would be much greater than any previous mid-cycle slowdown we've seen before. And then once again, we have to worry about our closer neighbours in China and the very self-engineered slowdown that they're going through there. We know that you know there's this famous phrase, when China sneezes, the world catches a cold. And I don't think that we can escape from that relationship just yet. Okay, so the bottom line to all of this, Amy, what's the message for investors? The message for investors is that within your fixed income portfolios, it's no longer such an easy ride as it has been for the last 30 years of simply going long a whole bunch of bonds and sitting on them for the coupon. You have to be a lot more nimble. For our portfolios, for the short term, we prefer to stay relatively close to home or looking for opportunities to actually go short on bonds. But it also means with this backtracking being seen by central banks, including the RBA, including the Bank of England, that for now, the central banks aren't going to do anything too surprising. So it's probably a clear run for the risk parts of your portfolios going into the end of this year. Amy, thank you for talking to The Point. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Amy Shea-Patrick, Portfolio Manager at Pendle Group. You've been listening to The Point Podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer. 